I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. We are talking about Disney's latest animated feature, Strange World, which kind of came and went in theaters with no fanfare at all. I'm just going to rip this band-aid off right now. The advertising for this movie sucked because all the advertising of this movie was look at all of these strange creatures look how beautiful the backgrounds look and there's probably a story involving a father and son but but look how cool this movie looks and of course that's not going to get butts and seats i'm i'm going to tell you even worse we talked about the trailer initially Mm-hmm. When we saw it, and we were both rather excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I even compared it to a video game I liked. And we were both curious about what it was going to be. We both said at the time that we were interested in seeing it. The marketing for this movie was so bad. I did not even realize it had come out until after it had been out for several days. And it kind of got buried because this came out like a what a week after Black Panther Wakanda Forever did? This came out on Thanksgiving. Mm. This was thank the Thanksgiving weekend, which is generally a big weekend for films. Especially Disney. Yeah. I mean it's it's a big family movie weekend. But I think, you know, you know, we've talked about Disney doing these kind of things before. Uh, many people have compared this movie to Treasure Planet and Atlantis, which also was, you know, not greatly uh, promoted and got buried under the competition. And I think it's just Strange World got buried under the competition. It's just this time, instead of it being like Harry Potter or something, it was Disney themselves. Because again, People were still riding the high of Wakanda forever. I don't I don't even know if that's it. Because I mean, yeah, the Black Panther is a big thing to go up against. But this movie is not fighting for the same audience. So there are always going to be people who would want to go see this movie either that had already seen Black Panther um, and were looking for something else or, you know, families with younger children that they're not going to sit through a film as long as Wakanda Forever or they're not willing or able to take the heavier themes 
of something like Wakanda Forever. Um, and they just want something shorter and bright and funny and it's got a cute dog in it and, you know. Um, so this movie was never in direct competition, really. So to say, like, oh, it got overshadowed by, you know, Disney's other big movie, I think is a cop-out. There is some idea that perhaps Chapek kind of buried this one. And yeah, this was right around the time of the changeover when Chapek was going out the door and Iger was coming back. The marketing campaigns are set far enough in advance that I'm... I'm not sure that it was like a last minute, like, oh, they just fired me, bury that movie kind of thing. I I think it was slightly more planned than that, if that's what happened. I mean, JPEG's comments towards animation was all, you know, just a few months before this movie came out, JPEG said some rather not so favorable comments towards animation. Which is bizarre for a guy who was in charge of a company built on animation. So, uh, and not to mention, it was Chapek's calls to have, like, the Pixar movies skip theaters entirely and go straight to Disney+. And, you know, the the the, the, the same-day release schedule of releasing on Disney+, Plus the same days in theaters. And so, it could just be a situation... If you follow what happened the, the previous year with Encanto, where Encanto was in theaters, no one was really talking about it, and then it hit Disney Plus, and then it blew up. And honestly, it's slightly disingenuous to call this one a total bomb, because yes, if you're just counting. Brick and mortar box office, yes, that is correct. Um, it did not do well in the theatrical release because they nobody knew it was there. I mean, we do a Disney podcast, and at least one of the two of us didn't even know it was in theaters for days until it had already been labeled a box office bomb. And all of the media outlets were reporting, like, Disney's latest animated feature bombed. And I was like, what do you mean Disney's latest animated feature? That hasn't even come out yet. And it's like, no, it's been out for, like, a week. You know? <laughs> um, so that's what took me by surprise. But um, the when it came out on Disney+, Plus, it immediately became the most watched thing on Disney+. Plus. Which does bring me to a point. This, if a film can find an audience that way, great. But this doesn't bode well for the animation movies because if this keeps happening over and over again, what's stopping the company from saying, "Well, we're just not going to release these into theaters at all because most people are watching are waiting for the Disney Plus release anyway," and just shove all of the animated movies on Disney Plus, which I wouldn't doubt that was JPEG's plan before he got outed. It was, but will that be Iger's plan now that he's back in in the short term? And it will it be whoever succeeds him? Mm-hmm. 
Chapek, the the reason why nobody was happy to see Chapek come in was that he had already shown when he was running the parks that he was very much a quick turn buck guy. Um, And Disney has always been about memories and experiences. You know, we we talked about Disney trailers, you know, a couple episodes ago and how they set up that experience of, you know, the Lion King trailer and how the parks set up experiences and everything. And you're willing to pay exorbitantly. In you know, especially in the past, you know, people were were willing to pay a little bit more because the experience of going to the park and the experience that the cast members provide and the experience of being in this kind of enclosed space where you just feel like you're in a completely different world is kind of worth that premium. You know, you save up all year or sometimes years of your life to have that moment. And that's what Disney and most people who have run Disney in the past have understood. And Chapek never got that. He was a very much a get in, get out, thanks for the money kind of guy. Um, And that's how he was treating the animation end a Disney movie was not something you anticipated anymore it was a here sit down put this on to shut the kids up and we'll have another one pumped out next month and that's not what a Disney animated film has ever been for most of us who've grown up with the company it's been an event You know, ever since the Disney Renaissance, for sure, you have waited for the next Disney animated movie. It's been an anticipation. It's it's been a moment. And the problem with something like Strange World is it wasn't a moment. You didn't even know it had come out. And that's also the problem with Treasure Planet and Atlantis is the marketing was so bad it wasn't a moment. It was something you discovered on VHS later or it played over and over on Disney Channel and it became part of your childhood and now they're very nostalgic for people like us and we love them. And and yeah, I mean, now Treasure Planet is getting the respect. Now Atlantis is getting the respect. I mean, I just saw a, a video of the new fireworks show at Disneyland, and they finally put Treasure Planet and Atlantis characters in the projection for the fireworks show, and I never thought that would happen. Oh, that's so good to say. I'm I'm always for, and we, we talked about this when we talked about Atlantis, I'm always for Atlantis being put in more things. But, I mean, now we're going to see if Strange World is going to become one of those that's going to end up taking its its place with that. Are we going to have to wait 20 years until this movie gets the respect it, it 
whether it deserves the respect or not, or are we going to have to wait 20 years to find out? I mean, I didn't even yeah. see any merchandise for this movie. Did you? I haven't seen anything yet on any of the the typical Disney sites that I follow. Um, I haven't heard anything about anything showing up in the parks yet from any cast members I know. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not there. I just mm. haven't heard anything about it yet. Um, but I, I, ha- I haven't. I, I mean, there's normally this we're you know recording this at the uh, the you know end of january you know beginning of february here and it came out thanksgiving of last year so by now there should be merchandise and i just i haven't seen it be a thing and i usually keep fairly close tabs on that so I, I don't I don't know. Um we're we're gonna see. There's definitely merchandising opportunities in it because everything Disney does has <laughs> merchandising opportunities. They make a in joke it. about it in the movie. Yeah, there is a joke in the movie about how merchandisable some stuff is. Um but yeah, I'm I'm going to say right now that if since this movie is so new if you haven't seen this movie, stop the podcast right now. Go watch the movie. We're going to go full spoilers. Yeah, we are going to go full spoilers on this. Usually, you know, we just kind of figure since we're talking about stuff people have seen, but this movie is still really new. And odds are a lot of people haven't seen it. So if you haven't seen it, stop it right now. Go watch the movie. I do think it's worth at least one watch. And then come back to us after you've watched it. Because um, from now on, we're going to assume you've watched it. And we're we're going to go full spoilers. So final warning. Full All spoiler. Right. Yep. All right. Okay. So before we really dive into it, I want to... There's a lot of influence from this of, like, the old pulp comic books. Like, even the title of the movie, Strange World sounds like an old comic book title. And this in is fact, the com- it was used as an old comic book title uh, by at least two different comic book companies, one of which was a precursor to Marvel Comics. So this is technically a Marvel movie. All right. It, this is technically a Marvel movie if you trace it far back enough. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, you know, Marvel, you know, similar titles like uh, Tales to Astonish and stuff like that, which sounds good, but also I think it's another thing that held this movie down is that the title doesn't tell you anything about the movie. The original title of the film was supposed to be Searcher Clade. It was just supposed to be the the name of one of the main characters. Um, but they decided that since Searcher wasn't technically the main character, they would they would broaden the title a bit. They could have called it the Adventures of the Clade Family. Yeah, or or something like that. Um, one of the other things you'll notice is the way that the the font at the beginning 
is the same font or an almost identical font to the Indiana Jones font. I was going to make that because which is yeah. also based off pulp comics of the of the 40s and the movie serials of the time. Even the original trailer was done in that style. Yeah. And we kind of get that in the beginning of the movie. With yeah, as as you have that great 1940s serial voiceover, which is our old friend Alan Tudyk in yes, one of good three luck, appearances. Yeah, he's got three characters in this film, and that's the first one you hear. I mean, seeing that opening in 2D makes me think, man, Dizzy could have done this in 2D. I really, I'm really annoyed um, that they did did not continue that style throughout the film i i think it might have been a little bit better to have the entire film done in that kind of not maybe maybe a permutation of that style because you even, even have if the- you did it 3d to kind of keep some kind of of that pulp style because you even have the same kind of shading that you would see in like 30s and 40s comics. Yeah, there there has to be a way to to do that where it's some version of that that isn't that's a little bit I don't want to say cleaner, but a little bit different than maybe what they're doing in the Spider-Verse movies because Mm. yeah i mean i think we've i think we've mentioned before in talking about spider-man stuff that um that animation style that they're using i i respect it and i understand what i'm what it's doing but um it gives me migraines and nausea i cannot watch those movies i watched the first movie once in the theater and I barely made it through and I didn't watch it in 3d I I watched a 2d screening um and the effect was so bad for me visually that I actually walked out and asked if we'd been accidentally put in a 3d screening without glasses because I was I was having so much trouble um and I've talked to other people who had that effect Uh, apparently it's rare enough that it's not happening to a lot of people, but there are certain people with certain medical conditions that we're we're getting really sick watching those movies. Um, so there has to be a way to to kind of mimic that old style comic effect without having that um, that thing when you when you do the animation that way. Um, and I kind of wish they'd have, they'd have found a way to do that. Because I really like it when they do it in the 2D style. I loved that opening animation. I wish they'd have carried it throughout the movie. Um, But when they... I mean, the animation in this is beautiful. I'm not going to knock any bit of the animation in this movie. But I do wish... I love that opening part so much. I wish they had carried it through. Yeah. Like, if they decided to do, like, the Clades Disney Plus TV show, do it in that style. If they decide to do that. Yeah. But 
you know that that opening where they they have the song where they're <laughs> introducing the characters um and the world they live in and they've got that chorus you know it's like Jaeger, Jaeger you know <laughs> he's a big manly man and here's his son and they go on adventures and you know um it's it's so perfect for the style and alan tudyk really nails that 40s announcer voice uh and i i love that everything about that the way it opens from a comic book into the the frame uh there so good opening solid opening and it immediately establishes everything about the world that you need to know um from the point of view of the characters you know avalonia and it's ringed by impassable mountains and they keep sending adventurers out to find what's beyond the mountains and jaeger clade is the bravest most adventurous adventurer i mean that that's the setup it's very simple and very easy for a child to understand. And then, and immediately they go into the conflict between father and son with two different ideologies. So, like, this is already picking up the pace of uh, similar movies of the of the nature. You know, we have the, the father, we have Jaeger who just wants to explore. I'm going over these mountains. That's the goal. That's the mission. That's what we're here for. And you got searchers. Hey, I found this plant that excute that excretes energy. This could be our future. This could solve all of our problems. We don't need to go over the mountain when we could just have this plant, and this will. This is our future. This is going to solve all of our problems. And then you get yeah, because the, the the whole reason for going over the mountain is that they're trying to find a way to advance as a society that that does seem to be the thing is they're they're trying to it seems that they live a very simple life and their technology has advanced x amount and they think that the way to progress is over the mountain and searcher finding finds this plant yeah. And he says, this plant is the progress we're looking for. We don't need to go over the mountain. And Jaeger's like, nope, I have a task. I'm going to go over the mountain. That That's it. And everybody else is like, no, we, we actually agree with your son. He seems to have found the solution. And Jaeger's like, yeah, nope, I don't care about you. I don't care about my son. I don't care about my wife. Who we don't see, but totally the end of the you know, I don't even care except about my, in a picture. Yeah, I don't care about my society. I care about this thing because this thing is going to be my legacy. Yeah. So yeah, we have uh, part of a, 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 as we've dubbed the new Disney. This movie, one of the first things they're tackling is toxic masculinity. You know, the I am a man. I must prove myself to be a man by climbing these mountains. And I don't care about anything else. Even though the solution is right here, I'm going to keep doing this because I am a man. 
Yeah, and Jaeger is very much, I mean, we talk about the 40s style of the setup and the visuals, but Jaeger is very much the 40s man. In a 1940s movie, he would be the hero. Because he is everything that society would prize. He is strong and brave and self-sufficient and he doesn't listen to anybody and you know i mean it's like he is all of the things whereas searcher is the one who is into botany he's the i mean he's the nerd you know yeah (laughs) like let's face it he's he stops and looks around at nature and uh, they say in his opening song that he has the head for botany and, you know, it's, he he's the, the opposite. He's, you know, his father is shown as large and muscular and he's shown as skinny and shorter and, you know. So it sets up that dynamic that in a typical 1940s adventure serial, you would immediately be like well Jaeger is the hero and Searcher is the weak little mousy you know sidekick but that's immediately thrown out the window when Jaeger goes like well you know you do whatever you want to do everyone else on my team I am going to walk away into certain icy death farewell And then the movie subverts all that by just cutting to 25 years later and nobody has seen Jaeger in 25 years. And now Searcher is the man. He's the father of Pando. He's the guy that gave everybody electricity. (laughs) He is is literally everything Jaeger wanted to be in terms of fame, in terms of popular, in terms of fame, in terms of the glory. And he has a statue in the center of town right next to his father's. Everybody in town loves him and knows his name and gives him things. He's literally, you know, in this universe, he is literally the father of invention. Yeah. He, you know, through Pando, they have electricity, they have power. They all every little bit of their society is powered through this plant Pando. And I do like the sort of retro future kind of designs that all of the vehicles and some of the buildings in the, in the town square have. It's sort of like 1940s airplanes and Zeppelin kind of technology, but it's also they have kind of anti-grav technology and retro future rocket ship designs and yeah it's really really neat i mean yeah i mean it's what the people in the 1940s thought we would look like in the 1980s (laughs) yeah very very um fallout almost yeah i did get a lot of that similar kind of idea um i've been i've been doing a fallout playthrough again getting ready for the new tv show that they're filming and 
it it really did remind me of that because of the way the pando glows with the green uh light is very similar to the way that all the fusion cores in fallout have that green radioactive glow you know uh so it is very similar to that it's a very magical feeling but also sci-fi feeling mm-hmm. kind of mixed together the way that they treat the pando yeah. is that it's a plant that can kind of you can grow it but it'll power everything and you just pick it out of the ground and shove it into a glass case and then shove it into your radio or your coffee maker or your the ultimate the ultimate green energy yeah and that is what it what it seems like at the at the start of the film is that this is the the ultimate green energy this would be the solution for anyone's energy crisis you know just grow this plant and turn it into a battery we we get our second alan tudyk cameo right here at the top of the movie where he is also one of the radio announcers when they talk about wow yay pando isn't it so great and they're explaining the plant to the audience and we get not one but two things that if this movie was more popular would get the usual suspects up and angry uh, a mixed You're race- going to have to restate that because the usual suspects are already up and angry. So, yeah, <laughs> Searcher marries a black woman, has a mixed race child, and the mixed race child is gay. Yeah, we have another. This is our first gay character in a Disney film. Although this one is more allowed to be more gay. Because they, this is no longer sugarcoating it. This isn't, co- you know, they don't say the word gay, but it's clearly using the same uh, schoolboy crush tropes. Only it's not towards a girl; it's towards another boy. And they're not subtle about it either. They they actually do refer to this as a crush. Uh, Searcher calls his son ethan you know he compares ethan's crush to searcher's first crush on a girl you know fast forward to the end of the movie and you know ethan and his crush diazo are you know cuddling at the end there's there's never a kiss between them because they're kids you know, I'm I'm not sure exactly how old Ethan is supposed to be in this. Teenage but he's age. a kid. Yeah, <laughs> they, they call him a teenager, but it's never stated how old that is. So anywhere between 13 and 19. But he's de- he's definitely still young enough to be underage. Living at know? home. <laughs> yeah, so 13 and 17, somewhere somewhere in that age range. There's never anything between them other than a school-age crush and putting an arm around each other at the end of the movie. And I have seen this referred to as sexual content. 
I have I have seen people unironically refer to this as sexual content. Uh, I uh, if that's sexual content to to you, you have never had sex. Yeah, I mean the the parents in this film are the only people that kiss, and they do it just to annoy their son, as parents would do. Yeah, and I mean, and, and it's not even like you know, passionate making out or anything. It's very chaste <laughs> kisses, but yeah, they do it very, often they're enough. Very because, chaste kisses, yeah, but, but they're really doing it in a way. Oh, you're bothered that I'm showing affection to your mother. Yeah, it's it's very much the joking way that the parents would do that. Like, oh, you know, are you embarrassed by your parents? You know, um, but. It's really sad if if you live your life in a way that this is what keeps you up at night. I, I'm I'm just gonna say that I I really feel pity and true sadness for anyone who would get that upset over either the idea of a mixed race couple of any sort or the idea of just a a queer person existing anyway uh all of that aside um and if you have a problem with any of that please shut our podcast off and never return um so we get this cute little scene where Ethan's friends come by because they have been camped out all night to get the new expansion for their favorite board game, Primal Outpost. And I absolutely love this. Primal the Gathering. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's really more, it looks to me more like Settlers of Catan. Mm. In that there's no fighting and there's... and. And that, yeah, it seems to be like a cooperative building kind of trading board game. Like, yeah, there are creatures in it, but it seems to be more that kind of idea. Because he, he says multiple times that it's about, like, uh, cooper cooperating and building balance with nature and stuff like that. Something that both Jaeger and Searcher do not understand. Yeah, I mean, it becomes a big plot point, and I kind of like the idea about this. And when you said, you know, is there merch for this, I'm like, I really want to play this board game. Yeah, they, they could totally put Primal Outpost out as a game. I mean, they have they have put, you know, all kinds of Disney board games out. I mean, they've put, you can buy Sabacc in galaxy's edge now and you know all kinds of stuff um so it wouldn't be the first time that they've taken a game you see played in a disney property and put it in you know the parks but i the first moment i saw that in the movie i was like oh yeah i want i want to buy this board game uh i want to know how this is played i want to you know yeah we get bits and pieces throughout the throughout the movie but yeah, I'm kind of wondering, because you don't put this kind of game in your movie, somebody 
on the writing team has wrote out a full list of rules for this game. I oh, guarantee yeah. you. Someone <laughs> on that writing team, somewhere in the Disney archives, there is a full list of rules for this game. Every kind of character and monster and object in this game is written out completely. Yeah. And, and you and know, somebody, somebody is a gaming nerd and they're like, they love board games like this. And, you know, this is, this is where we, we meet Ethan's crush because Ethan's mad that he missed the big opening day because it's already sold out. And Ethan was on the farm having to pick Pando and his crush was like, Hey, you know, we, I got you an extra pack. Don't worry. I didn't forget about you. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's clear that this crush is mutual. It's just, they're both young teenagers who don't really, who are shy and they don't really know how to express those feelings. Cause, Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're just buddies. No, 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 it's not like that. But they both totally want it to be like that. And, neither one is wants to make the first move because it's so cute and cuddly and they're just yeah it's 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 a, it's a schoolyard crush that you know if one of them was a girl no one would we would be complaining about this yeah and the thing is though is that even one of his friends immediately calls it out as flirting because there's there's the girl that's in the group and Immediately, as soon as Ethan and Diazzo start flirting, she's like, okay, I've only allotted like three to five minutes for you two to flirt. So can we please, you know, get this moving quickly so that we can play. talk about the game, you know, because <laughs> I want to I want to get to gaming, please. And I'm like, oh, okay, so we're we're not hiding the fact that they're flirting here. Like, this isn't going to be subtle thing. Like, we're just going to have a character say they are flirting. And this is all with everything we've talked about. That's the first 10 minutes of this movie. So this movie is going fast, fast, fast. Cause it's like, we need to get, we need to get into the strange world as quickly as possible. Let's keep this going. Yeah. And you know, we have searcher walk up and immediately he's like, Oh, is this the boy you have a crush on? This boy right here is the boy you have a crush on. Typical you two death. have a crush on each other. You're going to be boyfriends. <laughs> like how how you're how you're both boys and you have a crush on each other, like a romantic thing. You're gonna you're gonna be romantic with each other because you're boys. <laughs> you got, like, like he is, he's just in full. I'm I'm uh, you know dad embarrassing their kid mode. Oh yeah, yeah and it's should... and it's cute, but I kind of like that the movie doesn't dance around it. I mean, it's it's not like he just stands there with a big sign that goes like gay. But again, like you said, if this was a girl that had jumped out of the thing, he would have been like, oh, so this is the girl you got a crush on? Is, it, is she going to be your girlfriend? Or you want to invite her over for dinner? Or if Ethan and was nobody Elizabeth. would we would not even be really talking about this. If Ethan was Elizabeth. Yeah. You know. Or if, or if Diazzo was, you know, Daisy or something. <laughs> like, it's the exact same scene as dozens of other kids' movies, and nobody has an issue with it. I mean, 
searcher going full, yeah, did I tell you how cool my son is? He can do this, this, and this. He's a right cash, isn't he? Yeah, and he just, he he talks up his son to his son's crush. Searcher. He tries to play wingman. Yeah, he tries. Like, you're not a good wingman, my dude. Let it, he try, let it He tries to use the slang in a hello, fellow kids kind of way. And it comes off as very cringe. And, you know, Ethan makes a joke about, okay, we're going to go now. Sorry, my dad is being very dad about everything. All right, goodbye. We'll play later. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's really cute and awkward. And everybody has had that situation happen to them. You know? Like, if you have had parents or anybody who has been a parental figure in your life, you have had that situation. Yeah. There there you go. Um But this leads us to the the worry that Searcher has. His worry is that his son is gonna grow up to be like his father. Diazo trades him the explorer card for the farmer card. Searcher sees Ethan looking at his grandfather's statue, and he has this little fantasy moment where Ethan all of a sudden has his dad's mustache. Says, "I'm going to leave you just like Grant, uh, just like your dad left you." Yeah, Ethan even tries to make his dad feel better and say, "Like you know, I think Grandpa would be very proud of what you've accomplished with you know bringing Pando to the world and all this kind of stuff." and Searcher says, yeah, you don't know the first thing about your grandfather then. Well, tell me about him. And he just, he he, he's, he finds it hard to talk about. Because, you know, it's it's still a sore spot 25 years later. Which, you know, I don't blame the guy for. But clearly, his, clearly Ethan wants to know about his grandfather. And the fact that Searcher is hesitant to tell his his son about his grandfather... You know, you can tell that he's still hurt 25 years later of the fact that his father chose the adventure over his family. Yeah. Because we see the moment of that decision, you don't actually blame Searcher at any point for this. You understand that Ethan want, wants to know and you feel bad for Ethan and you probably do think that yeah searcher should probably just sit him down and say look here's what happened and these are my feelings on it I hope you understand because let's be honest it's always best to use your words mm, yep but you do understand searcher's perspective I mean that has to be the worst feeling in the world to be standing there at the moment that everyone in your society I mean literally the world as you know it because we are told at the beginning of the movie Avalonia is that is all they know and they've never seen anything outside of those mountains. So for him, this is the entire world. Everyone in the world praises him for the exact same moment as his father looked at him and went, 
yeah, I'm just going to choose to walk off into nothingness rather than be with you. Searcher's greatest triumph is see Jaeger will see it as his greatest failure. Yeah. And I mean, and at this point it's been 25 years. I mean, you are at that point certain that man is dead. Hmm. I mean, he turned around and he walked into snowy, icy oblivion. We're even told that, you know, searchers and searchers, mother, Jaeger's wife moved on and married another man. It's a really complicated and, and tragic bit where you can feel for everyone left behind. I mean, you feel bad for Penelope, the mom, you know, because, you know, her her son comes back with this great discovery. He's like, by the way, your husband just chose to walk away from everything. And then you wait for him to come back and you wait for him to come back and he never comes back. And you're just like, well, guess he's dead. Guess I'll marry this other dude. I will say this. I didn't notice this the first time I saw the movie. But I didn't notice uh, on this second watch to for, for this for this podcast. The dog only has three legs. I did not notice that the first time either. And I felt so silly about it. Like you could even the the usual suspects will even probably complain about that. Oh, we have a a, a disabled dog. Now we got, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now the dog is woke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was it's so bizarrely subtle. I missed it the first time as well. I don't know how. But yeah, legend, the adorable dog. <laughs> I wonder if. Would Disney release a a doll of a three-legged dog and have people understand he's coming from this movie? And not have parents complain, oh, why is this dog broke? Why is this dog broken? No, this is just the way the dog looks in the movie. I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But I I absolutely adore Legend. He's so so cute. Because I like that the first time you see him... The dad is making avocado toast. Probably another thing that somebody's going to complain about. And Ethan sits Ethan sits down to eat it, and the dog just jumps up at the table. And in between, you know, it cutting to Ethan and him going like, oh, I don't want to go out and weed the field. And it cuts to Searcher, and he's like, no, you need to go weed the field. And it cuts back. And if you're watching carefully, you notice that Legend has like reached down and grabbed a piece of avocado toast and eaten it in between the two cuts. Now the dog <laughs> is super woke. Yeah, it's like that dog could have afforded a house by now if he hadn't eaten that avocado toast. <laughs> uh. but, but I just love him. Like, that's such a cute little dog thing to have done. You know, and they just have him, like, licking his lips just off to the side. I'm like, I just love that the dog is stealing food off the plate and no one's yelling at him for it. Because <laughs> they're too busy fighting about who's going to weed the field. Yeah. The, uh, there's, there's one point where one of the vehicles is crashing and everybody is screaming and the dog has just shoved his face through a broken window and is just doing that dog thing where he's like going down the road like with his tongue hanging out like this is the greatest day of my life 
I forget exactly which scene because there's like different scenes where different vehicles crash where the dog's in them. But like, <laughs> there's just one scene where there's just like a group of them, you know, flying through and all the humans are screaming and the dog is like, this is the best. <laughs> I love the wind. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I just I noticed it on the replay and I was like because I was focused on the humans the first time through if you look at the dog uh, as during some of those crash scenes the dog is just having the best time <laughs> like 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 Legend and, and Splat who we'll talk about in a minute like I can see those two having like shorts on Disney Plus in the next few years just those two having little misadventures yeah, um, <laughs> just just mentioning the way they animated Splat is the the animators said that they used the um, since Splat doesn't speak but has to communicate that they used a lot of similar animation tricks to the way they did the flying carpet in Aladdin in order to make sure that it had a nonverbal method of communication in the way that it moved its body and its limbs for lack of a better word and was able to gesture its way through communication uh and it's a very expressive design and there is never a point where you're confused about what that particular creature is attempting to get across and I find that such a feat of animation so bravo to the entire animation team and you know all the concept artists and everybody involved in that design because Wow, did that work incredibly well. So, yeah, bra bravo to them. So now we get to the main, main plot of this. Pando is dying and they need Searcher to go into the center of the earth to find out what's wrong. And we get our leader for this mission, Callisto, uh, who is... Not who was not only a member of that original expedition team 25 years ago, but it's now the president of Avalonia. Yeah. And it's, and it's you! A, yeah, it's a woman president, and it's a woman Asian president. Yeah. But it's yeah. Lucy Lou, so who cares? Lucy Lou is awesome. Yeah, Lucy Lou kicks ass. They They say that the reason they have to go dig down is because Pando is one large organism that while you can plant it on the surface, the roots go down and interconnect with all the other Pando plants. Um, and so Pando is one large organism. So even though the, in the, you know, the, whatever it is that is affecting Pando in one part of Avalonia it will spread via the root system to all the other pando plants. So if they can't figure out what is causing it, it will 
eventually kill the entire uh, crop of Pando, and they will lose their source of power. Um, interestingly enough, uh, if you are already into weird biology of Earth, you may recognize the name Pando because this is actually based on a living thing. Pando is the name of the biggest tree that we have found. Um, it's also one of the oldest living organisms that we have found on Earth. And it is a aspen grove in Utah, I believe, that is actually a single tree. It looks on the surface like thousands of trees, but it has, at least they assume that it has an interconnected root system underneath. And genetically, they figured out that all of these thousands of trees are actually the same tree. Hmm. Um, and they've named it Pando. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, and when I say thousands of trees, I mean like tens of thousands of trees. Like a whole forest. Uh, yeah, it, it's like an entire forest, but um, it it's genetically a single tree. You know, it's it's like over a hundred acre forest, uh, but it's it's really cool, and that's where they they got the name. So they they named it after a thing in the real world, um, in the U.S. even. But I I liked that because I was like, oh, okay, I've heard of that before. That's neat that they're they're doing that. When they go down, okay, that's when they get to the place that we've seen in all the trailers. It's this magical looking strange world because they fall through the crust of the, the earth and there's something underneath it. And this is where I'm going to ask you, Tuesday, a very important question. Mm -hmm. How far into the movie did you figure out the big twist? When they said it in the movie. When they, when they, when you. When you physically see the evidence along with the characters? The eye. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm going to tell you when my household realized this because on rewatch I was like I wonder where exactly in the timestamp this is in the movie when when we figured it out in my house. Now I I will admit that the that my household is comprised of people who have master's degrees in you know literature and media analysis. Okay. <laughs> um, 22 minutes into the movie. <laughs> I, had we feeling, had, I had a feeling when they kept on referring to it as the heart, the heart, the heart. Because, you know, you see the, the pando growing on what they call the heart of, the, of Evalonia. Well, she, she keeps saying the heart of pando. We need to find mm -hmm. the heart of pando. Um, but, yeah... We had not even re 22 minutes into the film is not even when they reveal the twist that Jaeger Clade is still alive. But, you know, the big twist of the film is that 
Avalonia resides on the back of a giant turtle. And the strange world is they've broken through the shell of the turtle and they're now inside the turtle. Because there is something about when Searcher falls onto the squishy ground and looks up and sees that group of red things Mm -hmm. floating through the air. Mm -hmm. And I went, is that a bloodstream? And then they're attacked by two things that I went, oh, so those are like white blood cells? I mean, honestly, it's kind of like if you if you know just kind of basic biology. Also, Jaeger Clade is is played by Dennis Quaid, who was the star of Inner Space. I did not make that connection till right now. <laughs> so they're kind of double dipping at the whale at the, at the they're kind of double dipping at the well of uh reusing a guy who's already made a movie about going inside of a body <laughs> and clearing out an infection. Uh, spoilers for inner space. I, I don't know if that's that, that's a Warner Brothers movie. We don't care. Um um let's 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 I mean before we get too much into this you want to talk about the third Alan Tudyk cameo in this movie? Yeah, we we have to because this is the only part of the movie that I am mad as hell about. Disney, this isn't funny, and this is not a nice thing to put in your cutesy little kids movie. I mean, they own it now. I don't care if they own it. It will always be too soon for this. So Alan Tudyk's third character in this movie is the original pilot of the little spaceship they take to go down into the giant hole they've dug into the Earth's crust, i.e. the shell of the turtle. At which point they are attacked by these giant red pterodactyl-looking things, which turn out to be part of the immune system. And one of them comes crashing through the front window of the spaceship, much like a giant wooden lance, you'd say, and grabs Alan Tudyk's character by the chest and pulls him out of the spaceship. I am a leaf on the wind. Watch out. Oh! It's too soon, Disney. It will always be too soon for that reference. And yes, it was an intentional reference. They have admitted it was an intentional reference to Firefly and to Wash and to Wash's death in Serenity. Too soon. That is not fodder for your cute little Disney movie. But anyway, that was that was there, honestly. I think the other thing that makes me so mad about it is that this is a kid's movie, and that's kind of our... There are, like, two deaths of a human in this movie. One is... One is a member of Jaeger's expedition crew. Well, we, we don't really see him die, um... It's a fake out death. He get it's a it's a fake out death. 
but his they they did name the character Lonnie Redshirt <laughs> as a as a joke uh for the Star Trek fans. Um so they they do a joke where like the character you think he's dead for a second and then he pops out and he's like, "Oh, uh, sorry, I guess I shouldn't have been standing there or something." Um but the only character I thought I like actually really die is that Alan Tudyk character. And narratively, he dies because we need the mom who has shown up on her crop duster following the the spaceship to be like, hey, uh, Ethan um, snuck on board the spaceship because he wants to go on an adventure and be an explorer. I need him and the dog to come back home. And as they're uh, standing there arguing with the son about get on the crop duster and go um, back, these little pterodactyl creatures attack the ship and kill the pilot. And the mom makes a daring do, you know, thing and jumps from her crop duster plane onto the the kind of spaceship thing you know the the venture they call it um because she's the only other pilot in this movie she's the only other pilot yeah um and she's a very good one we see that early in the movie where she's kind of hot dogging around uh in her crop duster um but her crop duster is destroyed and the venture crashes and they're stuck under underground quote unquote you know um they're stuck inside the the turtle so that's kind of why that alan tudyk pilot character dies narratively is in order to make sure that the mom uh is trapped with them so that the whole clade family is together and that's fine but also this is the only death in the movie, and no one comments on it. And it, you know, the movie does not even pause to be like, Duffel is dead. Do, do we even like, hear his name being called Duffel? We do. Okay. Because I, I, they, I don't they do give him a name, and they do refer to him by name as they're introducing the characters around. Uh, the captain refers to him. Also, by the way, the captain's last name in this film, Lucy Liu's last character, is uh, she is Captain Mal. <laughs> I am not joking about that. Her name is Callisto Mal. So Alan Tudyk has twice died piloting a ship captained by Captain Mal. President Tide Pants. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little annoyed because New Disney has kind of been a little bit better about being more sense. I don't want to say sensitive, but I kind of do about death in that way. Yeah. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm not saying you can't show death as part of, children's media i think it's important to show death as part of children's media um but i think it's also important to show grief as part of children's media at least the death you, and deaths that we've seen in in this new disney era at least they had meaning 
Like we just talked about Frozen a few weeks ago. Yeah, and the the rest of the movie is the the fallout of the king and queen's death, and how the how it impacted Anna and Elsa's life. Yeah, and these people, I understand that they're in a traumatic and life or death situation. You know, they are there to save their society, and they are on a ticking clock and a time schedule and stuff, but. There is never a point in this movie where they're just like, we just watched a dude get killed right in front of us. And that is arguably a thing probably none of us have ever had happen to us before. And one of these is a child. Like, can none of us take a moment just to be like, and a moment of silence for Pilot Duffel who just bit it horribly. Like, at all? Just two seconds of this movie? Would that... Can we not even just... Yeah, no one mentioned it ever. No one ever mentioned this. No one seems to care. They just move on like he wasn't even a part of the crew. Yeah. Never mentioned again. Never. It's... It's almost played as a joke. I I mean, it's not really... Like, it's not like a funny ha-ha moment. But it's really there. It's like, oh, how do we make sure the mom is on board the ship? Well, let's kill this guy. You know, it's like. We'll create a character just to die because we need to find a way to get the mom on the plane rather than say, hey, we need a pilot. Oh, I'm a pilot. It's almost like somebody was like, oh, hey, isn't Alan Tudyk in all these movies now? I want to write a Firefly joke. Yeah. Firefly joke achieved. It's possible that they had Alan Tudyk already in to just be the narration and just be the radio announcer. Hey, Alan, I have this idea. Let's do a Firefly joke in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of just it kind of just goes at this point. And we've made jokes about it before, like, and Alan Tudyk is also in this movie because Alan Tudyk is in every one of these movies now. But it also feeds into the Alan Tudyk dies trope. Yeah. Um, I mean, now granted, his character hasn't died since King Candy back in uh, Wreck-It Ralph, I think. But, yeah. <laughs> it's, I just... I don't know. It, there's something about this that irks me on several levels. And I wish they had not done it. I mean, you were one of the... When when Alan Tudyk dies was a meme, you were one of the... Of the people that I know, you were the one pushing for stop killing Alan Tudyk. Well, yeah. I mean, also because just, you know, what a waste. More Alan Tudyk is always better. Killing Alan Tudyk is a waste. Keep Alan Tudyk through to the after credit scene, and then do two after credit scenes, both with Alan Tudyk. Yeah, and a viral marketing campaign afterwards with Alan Tudyk. Just I don't know, just more Alan Tudyk. But anyway, we you know we we mentioned it. Jaeger Clade is alive and has been living for the last twenty five years in this strange world. What is he eating? He's eating the the creatures. He's eating the the creatures of the land, which, again, we find out are the immune system of the turtle. 
Well, and all the other stuff too. I mean, some of it's the blood cells and the lungs and the heart and the muscles, just, probably. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's probably just eating bits of muscle. It's like, I mean, turtle is tasty. I'm not saying it's not. <laughs> so he's just eating the turtle from the inside. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh... That does, I mean, it now makes it a three-way generation gap because you have Jaeger to Searcher, Searcher to Ethan of how they live their lives. Searcher's fears are even more amplified as Ethan and Jaeger start bonding. Yeah. And, of course, you get that moment where, you know, we we have already said the thing about the mom, but you get that moment where Jaeger finds out what happened to the mom and searcher is mad at him he's like everybody thought you were dead it has been 25 years do you even realize it has been 25 years mom is gone and he's like your mother died and she's like no she's moved on she's remarried she's like she moved out every day you know like <laughs> yeah I mean, uh, he could have phrased it better, but it's a nice, I mean, it was, he he said that intentionally to get that reaction out of Jaeger. Well, and also it plays on the Disney trope. Our our idea is that, of course, his mom's going to be dead. This is a Disney movie. Um, So it, it plays with the, the audience expectation, too, you know? Um, which I, I liked. I mean, I laughed so hard the first time I heard that that line. You know, mom's gone. I was like, oh, yeah, another Disney dead mom. And he's like, your mom's dead? No, she's like, she works out every day. It's like, she, she's just remarried, you know? We thought you were dead, you know? And I think it really, you know, again, skipping around a bit, I think it really hits... That idea of we all thought you were dead and do you realize how long it's been doesn't really hit Jaeger until he sees the compass that he gave Searcher at the beginning of the movie to help him find his way home. And Searcher kind of does the same thing again towards the end of the movie back to Jaeger. And Jaeger notices that Searcher has since torn out Jaeger's image from the family photo that Jaeger always kept in there. That that's how damaging Jaeger's choice was to Searcher. So much so that he refused to even keep images around. And, you know, again, for for Searcher, every time he goes into town to sell his wares, to refill those Pando machines... He has to look at this big statue of his father, the man that left him. Yeah. And he has and he has a statue in the town square of everyone saying how great he is. Granted, he also has a statue of, of himself. But he, it's, you know. Uh, well, they have a statue of me because I discovered Pando. I am the father of every devi- every device we have in, the, in our society. And then there's this guy. Yeah, and. It is kind of interesting because you wonder what was Jaeger's contribution before that that earned him a 
statue. That he was just... All we know that he was just the adventurer. That's all we know. I mean, he was an explorer, but did he find something or do something to also earn him a statue? Like... Avalonia doesn't look to be that big of a society. So it's not like it's a country that he gets pioneered through. It's at most a large city with farmland around it. That's about, I don't know. I, I do not know. I don't even think this movie knows. Yeah, and I mean, it it, it doesn't seem to be that he's important famous, but it just he's it, famous because the plot needs him to be famous yeah because everyone says oh the, you're, you're the grandson of the great explorer uh jaeger clade and even the kid even the kids even ethan's friends know yeah your grandpa was a famous explorer well yeah but it's like everybody goes to the same town square and there's a giant statue of him in there you know there's a statue yeah. of two guys so you know the thing is, though, is that once they get down there, it is fascinating how little Jaeger has learned about the environment. Because he didn't want to. His whole thing was, I'm going to the mountain. I don't care about this this area that I'm in. How, No matter how beautiful or wonderful it might look, my goal is the mountain. And I'm going to go under the mountain. If I can't go over the mountain, I'll go under it. It is a funny sequence when he was like, well, I decided to go under the mountain because I realized that going over the mountain was kind of certain death. And I found a cave and I decided I would try to explore the cave and see if there was a way under the mountain or through the mountain. And then the ground gave way and I ended up here and searcher immediately goes, so you're trapped. And he's like, well, I wouldn't say that. And he's like, yeah, you are. (laughs) Even accidentally, you would think he would pick up on some things. And it's amazing how closed off he is. Because it is so almost immediately apparent. Or at least it was to me, you know, but I but I kind of told you, you know, 22 minutes in um, <laughs> that, you know, he's going around and he says, yeah, these things follow me around everywhere. And, you know, I I burn down a path and then these things come along and regrow the path after me. And I was like, yeah, because it's like scar tissue, you know. Like, obviously, they're just healing i mean not everything is a one-to-one correlation with a human anatomy or even animal anatomy because it is a bit speculative anatomy in in the way a lot of it works but a lot of it is so similar to actual functional anatomy like there are two colors of bloodstream i don't know if you notice that One is red and one is blue. Mm. So there's oxygenated blood and non-oxygenated blood. Um, At at one point that you can see, normally we only see the the red. But at one point in the wide shot, you can see that there's also a blue, quote-unquote, highway. 
that's going along with cells at, at one point in the back. You know, you can tell. So they set up and that, you know, ends up being important later, you know, in the climax of the movie. These cute little creatures that come along and regrow things, you know. But it's obviously in a same way to the way, you know, scabs and scar tissue work in our bodies and everything. And I'm like, you've been down there for 25 years and you haven't picked up on this. But he's also, you know, that's not really something that he's ever been interested in. His whole thing is conquering the frontier and it's not. You know, the the nerd stuff was was Searcher's thing. And he always found that uninteresting. I don't know. It's just, to me, there's a difference between nerd stuff and if I put my hand in the fire, it burns me. If I put my hand in the fire, it burns me. Like, eventually, don't you learn that I don't put my hand in the fire, I don't get burned. Like... Some things you don't necessarily have to be interested in the scientific mechanism of why the fire burns your hand to just be like, well, I do A, I get B. Like, (laughs) don't you just start to put some things together after a while? I mean, again, it just, it just, that's seemed to be Jaeger's character is that. Just not interested in stuff like that. This is a guy that would put a fork in a light socket 18 times. (laughs) I mean, it also plays up later when the three of them are playing the game. Where it's, you know, as we mentioned, the game is not about good guys and bad guys. It's about coming together and with your environment. All of the, you know the land and the creatures coming together and coexisting, which is a foreign concept for Jaeger. And obviously a foreign concept to Searcher. As, as, as the Searcher and Jaeger both agree, what kind of game doesn't have a bad guy to fight? Yeah, I loved that scene because the, him, him trying to explain the game to him, and, and while it is, you know, thematically appropriate for the movie, it did remind me of when when I used to go play Dungeons and Dragons with friends when I was younger and I would go out and every, every single time my, I would come back and my father would say, well, did you win the game? And I would have to say like, it's, it's not that kind of game. Well, what's the point of it? And I would just go like, okay, never mind. You're never going to get this. <laughs> Yeah. So, and you could also kind of see it as Disney having a comment on their own current writing style. Like, there's no bad guy. That's just poor storytelling. Yeah, and I I did love the the meta aspect of that, um, which also got a big laugh out of me. Um, this is by the same writer as uh, Ryan the Last Dragon. For anybody who didn't know. An, another movie with similar themes and similar no central villain kind of idea. I really enjoyed that the that the two older characters were were very much 
you know, even though they were in different ways, they still wanted to find a problem and squash it in some way. You know, it's that there's a problem and we have to fix it. And to Jaeger, the problem is there is a monster and I will squash it with my brute force. And to Searcher, the problem is I have something that needs protecting and an outside force is trying to take it. You know, which and, is the pest control kind of thing. You know, I have my crops and weeds or pests are going to attack it. It's how he treats the creatures attacking the panda uh, later on. Yeah. You know, it's it, that's just his mentality. We have to protect the panda, so we're going to take care of all these creatures attacking the panda. And... You know, Jaeger is very, he's very, you know, old world colonial in that sense. I will go to a new place. I will conquer it. I will make it mine. Jaeger is very proactive. Searcher is very reactive. Yeah. Searcher is very, I will, I will stay home. I will protect my, my family, my children, my homestead. Ethan is very much holistic in the sense of we need to to look at this from a larger perspective. We need to understand this from every single viewpoint and then make a decision. And that's the beauty of, you know, that is the entire purpose of the game in this movie to explain to the audience Ethan's perspective on life. Like he doesn't he feels that it's wrong that they're attacking these creatures, even though they are attacking the pando. For Ethan, you know, he's the first one that figures it out that you know something ain't jiving right here. This is something's wrong here, and there's gotta be a way for all of us to coexist together. And he's kind of brushed aside by Jaeger and Searcher for that. Yeah, and we see it from Almost his first line in the film when his father, you know, when Searcher tells him, you didn't weed the field like I asked you. And Ethan says, well, what is a weed other than a plant growing where you don't want it to? Which I thought was such a great, you know, and and immediately, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, there's that smart teenager talking back to his dad because he doesn't want to do any work. But that's not what it is. He's actually stating his philosophy. Why do I have to remove the weed? It's a plant, just like Pando is a plant. You just don't like where it's growing. Why is that? Mm -hmm. Tell me why that plant doesn't have a right to grow where it's currently growing. Why does Pando have more right to that land than the plant that's currently growing there? Justify that to me, and then I'll weed the yard. Which I think is a very interesting philosophy. And, you know, and and you can take issue with the philosophy if you want. 
And if you've got a good justification for it, okay. But he's not doing it to get around the work. We see throughout the film that he's actually a very hard worker. And he's very highly motivated. He's just not a person who does things without thinking through the why. He will not follow you just because you tell him what to do. He wants you to justify why you're doing it. Which I I think is a rather solid footing that maybe more people need to have. It also plays into him rebelling against his father because his father wants him to be, you know, join the family business of being a farmer. And it's and his grandfather wants him to join the family business of being an explorer. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I mean, both of them actually want the same thing just in two different ways. And it's with with Ethan, it's. He wants neither, but also wants both. But it's just he wants it on his terms versus his father and grandfather's terms. I want to explore things and also nurture them. Yes. I do not want to explore for exploration and conquering sake. But I also do not want to stay in one place and make it into what I want it to be, you know, is there have been multiple ideas of agriculture throughout human history. And searcher is very much the kind of European idea of agriculture in that you mold and shape land and plant to what you want it to be. And, you know, you redirect a river to irrigate a field instead of moving the field closer to the river, you know, or you merge these type of plants together to make the yield what you want it to be. Or you, you know, reshape the land to be more conducive to growing this type of plant. Trying to bend, uh, trying to bend nature to your will versus bending to nature's will. Yeah. Whereas, you know, and you know, you plant fields close to your house, so it's easier for you to do the labor and whatever. Um, whereas, say, like a lot of native tribes in the Americas would just create paths to where food crops were already growing and tend them there because they figured, well, that was just where they are naturally better to grow. And so they would travel farther because they considered it was better for the plant. So instead of, you know, bringing the plant closer to their house and trying to reshape the land there, they would just walk a little farther and go to where the plant was growing. So it's it's a different philosophy of agriculture. And I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, they both have their ups and downs. Mm. But 
I don't I don't know enough about agriculture to say like, well, this is definitely better. But, but we do Ethan's see both spot. philosophies in play mm. because we see Searcher doing one sort of thing in one part of the movie, and we see Ethan doing one sort of thing in a different part of the movie. Um, and they both are doing relatively well at the end of the movie, you know, do, doing that kind of thing. So we do see that, that you do have to take various perspectives into account and try to find a way to get them to work together. And we do see that some perspectives are so toxic that they do have to change entirely. We learn Jaeger learns that, you know, Jaeger finally decides to just settle down. He, he, you know, he's not going with, he's not going on the expedition at the end of the movie. He's staying with searcher to reconnect with him and even, even learn how to farm. Because, you know, he, he knows all those years he wasted just going after this impossible dream. Well, the thing is, is that there is one, one part of the movie that I think is the single best line in the film, mm-hmm. which is just before, you know, we, we have that moment where they've kind of discovered what's going on. And they come back to tell the the ship and they say, you know, hey, we can't destroy the creatures. We have to destroy the Pando um, because the Pando is actually an infection that is killing the world we live on. I mean, yeah, big surprise. This is actually a climate change thing, too. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's not subtle, and it doesn't have to be. A a lot of people who actually talk about the story of this movie dinged it for like, oh, it's not very subtle. But you know what? It's a kid's film. It doesn't have to be subtle. I mean, and at this point, some people do need to be hit in the face with the clue by four. Yeah, but also, again, it's a children's movie. Sometimes children need you to look at them and be like, hey, kids, let's protect the earth and also clean up your room sometime. You know, it's like, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> and, the fact, and, and the realization from Searcher that his life's work, his legacy has been slowly killing this world. So he has to make the choice and he chooses his son. He says, I'm doing this for my son. I'm ruining my legacy. I'm throwing it all away for my son because he means more to me than anything. Well, also, what is his legacy if the entire society is not alive to to praise you? You know, like, I mean, would Jaeger do it? Would Jaeger at the beginning of the movie? If that was his choice, 
he made that choice. His choice is I'm going to go and and cement my legacy over my family. And Searcher makes the choice. I'm going to save my family over my legacy. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, of course, that's the correct choice because you have no legacy if there's no one there to memorialize you. You know, you have no legacy if there's no people. And what happens if Pando kills the turtle is, well, there's no society. You will kill all of the... I mean, this is a climate change metaphor. You know, if you kill humanity... You have no legacy because there are no people to remember you, you know? Mm. Duh. (laughs) I love the bit where they they accidentally end up back outside the turtle and they see the eye. And they realize it's an eye. And everything clicks in place. And Searcher's first thing is, it's judging me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's probably gotten that look from his father several times over, so he knows. But it's like... Well, I love that you're like, you basically see, like, metaphorically the eye of God, and Searcher's first thing is, it's judging me. (laughs) Well, I mean, after everything else, he's literally killing God unintentionally. Well, I mean, he doesn't, they don't realize that yet. They have that moment like 20 seconds later but i i just love that your first thing is you see it you see a giant eye and you're like it's judging me um the, but i love that right before that searcher gets the realization you know all his life he tried to be you know i'm not going to be like my father and in a way he's just like his father in that he tries to force his son into his way of thinking much like jaeger tried to force searcher into his way of thinking well, yeah, because Ethan throws the same words back at him, which is, I don't want to be like you. Searcher does makes the correct choice, which is that he said, I, I never wanted you to think that I wasn't proud of you unless you became a farmer. I will always be proud of you. What he was really worried about, and I do think that's true. I, I, I never believed that that was a lie. He was always going to be proud of his son. What his real fear was, was that if his son became an explorer, his son would be lost. Because he thought his dad was dead. He thought his son would die. He was afraid of losing his son. In in a mortal sense. That's That was his big fear. All his son, you know, his son got the wrong communication, which was that I will only be proud of you if you stay here and become a farmer exactly like me, which was not his intent. Yeah, but it was definitely Jaeger's, though. Well, Uh, yeah, Jaeger's intent was I will only be proud of you if you do exactly as I do in my exact way. And that comes to the greatest line in the movie, which is when he comes back and he delivers, you know, when Searcher comes back and he delivers the news, we have to get rid of the Pando because we are actually living on the shell of a giant turtle and it is killing uh, everyone and everything and, you know, whatever. 
Jaeger is mad because his son has now accomplished the thing he has spent his life in t- trying to do. And Jaeger says, no, no, I'm not doing this. I'm going to finish my life's mission, which is to, you know, get to the other side and see what's there. I don't believe you that it's a turtle. You're just making this up. You're trying to beat your own, your old man at his own game. And Jaeger says, what do you want me to say? That I was a bad father? And Searcher says, yes, but you didn't have to be. Kudos to Jake Gyllenhaal on the, on the, on the voice acting. You know, he's not really known as a voice actor, but he kind of nailed that line. Yeah, the delivery of that line was, was very good. And the, the point, though, I mean, that is the emotional resonance of the movie in that one line. And... You know, I've heard repeated over and over in in my life, every parent, no matter what they do, ends up messing up their child. And I've I've heard I've heard that repeated often in my life. And I've never it's it's never quite rung true to me. I, I don't I don't think that's true. But even if it is and I think I think it's true that that every parent will make mistakes. I think that's true. I think that the heart of this film is accurate in what Searcher says is you don't have to be. As long as you're still breathing, you can choose to be a better parent at any stage. And that's probably another thing that people will rag on this movie for being woke about, you know, because uh, we've seen, you know, we've seen a lot of millennial and Gen Z people disconnect and and distance themselves from their parents because their parents refuse to change from their set in ways that caused the problems between the two in the first place. And this movie is saying you don't have to be that way. You can change. You can become better. And this is just going to be more fuel for people like, oh, this is, you know, telling kids to disrespect their parents and not listen to them and that they're right, that their parents are terrible. And I... If that is what the movie is saying, then I support that. <laughs> um, because it's it's true. What Jaeger did was absolutely indefensible. And the thing is, is that it's it's fine to have that dream. But here's the, the thing is, how did he finally achieve that dream with the thing his son found? If he yeah. had turned around and come back with his son, he could have come back and in five or ten years they could have built an airship or something and they, they could have probably found a way a, a digger through the mountain or a something under the, you know? There, there would have been 
you know, with Jaeger's tenacity and the inventions that Pando brought, they would have figured this out faster if Jaeger had turned around and come back. He didn't. He walked away and estranged himself from his family. And he didn't get anywhere. He was trapped down there because he couldn't get past the stomach. You know, that's what he, yeah. that's what he said. Like, I kept walking until I found the, you know, sea of death or whatever. And it turned out to be the stomach. He couldn't get past the stomach because stomach acid. <clears throat> and it wasn't until they ended up down there with the, the venture and, you know, the venture and the, the help from Splat and all the other immune system creatures and all that other kind of stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Events of the movie that they were able to travel past that. And make it to the other side. That's it. That yeah. that's that's how he finally achieved his dream. You know that big hero moment where he comes back and he says, "My legacy is you." You know he finally got it in the end. That you know, yeah, he could have gone and and get uh, those mountains uh, right with the compass and the and the and the and the bike, but it would have been a, a, a hollow victory. Because he would have done the same thing he did 25 years ago, abandon his family. Yeah, and now, even though he's back, you know, at the at the end of the movie, you know, once they once they make the right decision and they decide to destroy the Pando, help the immune system fight off the Pando, um, it stops the creature's heart for just a second, but you know the the healing thing we talked about earlier. You know, of course, it brings the, the I don't restarts think, the heart. I don't think a viral infection goes away that fast, but Disney movie. Well, you know, the, it also seems to be a bit of a magical creature, which yeah. goes along with most of the myths of the world turtle. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest, but um. You know, when when they're when they're able to bring the heart back to life, and you know, yay, the world turtles saved, and you know, well, but you know, when we see the the kind of one year later bit, Jaeger's there, and we see that their relationship has improved, but like Jaeger is still suffering from. Not, I mean, it's not like he shows up and gets his wife back. She's still married to that other guy. Yeah, but you know, and th- 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 he's there—he's actually... there with his son, and there—he's learning to farm. And okay, but you know, it—it it still looks a little strained. You know, we get a happy ending, but there's still work to be done. Yeah, and. You know, Avalonia has had to make a lot of changes. I mean, the Pando is gone, and they're still in cleanup mode. We do see that most of the most of the Clade Farm still has dead Pando in the fields, but there's you know little things like strawberries and stuff that they're growing now, uh, and tomatoes, and you know. 
yeah whatever eggplants and now you we know got, we, we yeah. see we see various things in the field that they're growing now but most of the land is still surrounded by dead pando that hasn't been cleared away and even in the end with ethan and his friends they're still cleaning up the the strands of dead pando uh roots from inside the turtle yeah they've they've gone down there to to help the immune system <laughs> uh actually clean up uh from inside yeah um and they have moved the entire surface society into wind turbine energy uh to try to make it more sustainable which is interesting you know the way that they're setting that up Something, something, windmills, and there's another thing to complain about. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, but it's it's an interesting kind of meditation ending on being in sync with the environment once you've discovered, oops, we're actually harming our environment. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's really, really fascinating. There is room for more stories in this world. I just don't know if they're going to get an opportunity to tell them. Especially since the, the movie did not perform so well at the box office. Even though it is doing well on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I, I really, I hope more people end up finding this movie. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. It's not the most groundbreaking Disney film. I will say that. I'm I'm not going to be like, oh man, this movie absolutely changed my life. I have seen most of these concepts before. I have seen a lot of them done better elsewhere. However, if this is your first like if this is baby's first introduction to a lot of these concepts this is a really good baby's first introduction to most of these concepts which i think it was intended to be Mm. i mean when we were kids we had captain planet we don't got that anymore so sure definitely this i think this is much better done than captain planet and i mean you know i i grew up with well i wasn't allowed to watch captain planet but you know i grew up hearing about captain planet and i watched it when i got older to see what the fuss was about but i think that this is better done than that Mm. i would recommend this over that if you have access to both for all the exploring that they try to do it's the world isn't really, I mean, it's a very large planet that's mostly water, and the only source of land is is the turtle. Eh. Well, at least that we see. There, I mean, they could there might be another turtle there. Or another animal. On the other side, or some other animal, or some, you know. Again, so there's room for more stories to be told, definitely. But uh, yeah. let's, let's if this is also your first baby's first introduction to the idea of the world turtle. OK, good. 
you know, it might lead you to other stories about World Turtle. I, I've liked some of the other st- stories centered around World Turtles better. I mean, but, I know you're I know you're a huge Discworld fan. Yeah, I mean, fam- famously, famously so. Um, I literally have a master's degree in Discworld, uh, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, but I mean, you know, that's far from the only story out there about that i mean you know the writer of this is of asian descent and likes you know setting his worlds in stuff based in asian mythology so of course this takes from asian mythology but of course there's native uh american tribes that have uh world turtle uh and turtle island uh, things as as well and of course multiple asian mythologies and other uh societies that have some form of uh world turtle or cosmic turtle or turtle island or you know variations on that so you know this is this is an idea that comes from a lot of different places that they just kind of made into some vague kind of other planet that uh, probably not Earth, you know. Mm. I mean, but would you say that this world runs on turtle power? <sighs> <sighs> I had to make the joke. Heroes on the half shell, living on the half shell. <laughs> oh, she's gonna kill me the next time we see. <laughs> The next time she sees me, I'm dead. (sighs) Oh, so Kiki, before you send me to the grave, I have to ask, let's ask the question, does Strange World have the magic? I mean, I think it does. It's, it's cute for what it is. It's, it's not at the top of my run out and see it list, but it deserves way better than it got. If you've, haven't seen it yet and for some reason still listened even when I told you to go watch it go watch it I I would agree I think it definitely has the magic it, it definitely deserves a chance and I you know people have already made the comparison we've talked about it at the beginning of the podcast I think that this is going to be one of those movies like Atlantis like uh, Treasure Planet that is probably going to get looked over and will probably find its footing as a cult classic in the years to come. Yeah, I really hope it finds an audience faster than that. I hope word of mouth spreads on this. I hope it gets some kind of follow-up somehow. And I really hope they make that board game. Yeah. So, yeah, that's those are our thoughts on Strange World. Next week, Kiki, we got a new Marvel movie coming out. So it's time to get back into the MCU in honor of the new movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. We are going back to the original Ant-Man movie, a movie that has a very interesting story behind it and uh, might be play into uh, the upcoming sequel, if uh, rumors are to be believed. 
But uh, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> yep. So come back next week as we talk about Ant-Man. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at Rewatching the Magic. .podbean.com Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues.